0: This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Sessions from the Media Rumble 2018.
1: Good morning everyone. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here in early morning and I can see there's not much audience here but we're hoping to gather a greater audience online where the actual eyeballs and attention is. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a panel which has a great degree of expertise and knowledge um, it has a former union minister from this very field uh, who can bring an insider knowledge. Uh, we have a former press secretary to the president as well as a spokesperson for uh, one of the leading uh, criminal investigation agencies seated on my left, Mr. Khan. We yes, have uh, Dr. Subis Chaturvedi, who is a president at Yes Bank and noted civil society activist but also the owner of one of the best Tech Online publication, which has documented the policy landscape over years, Mr. Nikhil Power. So before I start with asking what are the challenges for law and policy, uh, just a few housekeeping rules on uh, how do we structure this session and get the most out of it. And this is necessary because there's a lot of field to cover. So uh, initially, what I thought was, let's allocate five minutes each for initial remarks Open it up a little to the audience and bracket it into two segments one on licensing, profitability, etc., and second, get into then censorship. Okay, because both are equally important growth as well as looking at what are the kind of censorship challenges here. And censorship happens to sometimes dominate these conversations, but let's also look at the growth story what are the licensing challenges, how, how are media entities which are traditionally broadcasting over. Uh, over uh, television news, have migrated and have formed their content strategies online and is the licensing system truly up to um, uh, speed with whatever is happening actually in industry. So, uh, and towards the end, again just reserving about two minutes to three minutes each to speakers to sum up their thoughts, get a last word in, okay? So, starting off with some initial remarks. uh, It's the title of the session itself, is policy and law actually out of touch with uh, what's happening in the media? And I'll pose that first to you, sir. Um, uh, Mr. Tiwari, what do you think? Uh, do you think there's a need to relook at laws, the policy formation processes? And uh, what what would you like to say on this?
0: Good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much for having me on this uh, media rumble platform called Minding the Media. So, well, uh, regulation is of two kinds. There is the formal regulation that we should talk about today. And there is the informal regulation that we should really be concerned about. The informal regulation which uh, stems out of a phone call from the powers that be to media owners and leads to the sacking of inconvenient anchors and other news persons who happen to uh, do a story, which may not have been to the liking of the prime minister or calls out the prime minister of the day. So therefore, that's the informal regulation, the regulation by tyranny, that unfortunately holds the stage today. And the latest manifestation of that was uh, what happened in the newsrooms of uh, a very, very prominent Hindi news channel day before yesterday, when uh, the entire senior staff was almost summarily sacked or asked to go, uh, primarily because uh, the Prime Minister or uh, Uh, his party president were completely and absolutely unhappy uh, with some of the stories which they have been doing. And I think that chilling effect, that the the chill of informal regulation is something which uh, should really worry us uh, today. In so far as the formal structure of regulation is concerned, all of us here are familiar with Article 19, which uh, guarantees the freedom of speech and expression. Uh, and then the uh then Article nineteen is caveated by something which is called reasonable restrictions. Uh Article nineteen one two. And those reasonable restrictions are extremely omnibus. They are very wide. Uh, you can uh, regulate everything from motherhood to apple pie. Uh, And uh, though the courts have tried to whittle it down and sharpen it, but it gives the government uh, a huge amount of latitude to really uh, do whatever they like in terms of regulation. And as a result of that, uh, at the last count, there are 29 laws, that's acts, uh, rules, and regulations, which, uh, which regulate the print media space. There are another 18 laws, uh, acts, rules, and regulations which uh, regulate the broadcast and the film genre. And uh, then you have the Information and Technology Act, which uh, sort of is the legal architecture of the, uh, of the online space so therefore uh, when you talk about liberating the media space uh, you cannot look at it in isolation which is to say that uh, because the digital media is the new kid of the block you know and the entire dynamic of digital media is different so therefore only this genre needs to be liberated from the tyranny of regulation i think the time has come that uh, we need to really look at, relook at the whole panoply of regulation in the media space and uh, some of the stuff which had been put on the statute in the 50s in the 60s in the 70s or even later you know therefore that needs to go the classical example is the cinematographic act which i think has completely and absolutely outlived its time And insofar as the uh, online space is concerned, till the time you do not have a change in mindset, and till the time the reasonable restrictions that police the freedom of speech and expression continue to remain on the statute, the tendency or the desire or the inclination will always remain to extend it at some point in time, Uh, to the online platforms. And there ends my five minutes, and I'll stop at that. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir. Uh, I think that's given us a great opening It set it up. Some common points I'll just like to re-emphasize here. The first thing is Mr. Tiwari drew a distinction between informal regulation, which causes a chilling effect, something related to a rule of law system. Yes, the police officer is supposed to comply with the CRPC, but then the police officer Do they actually comply with the CRPC? So do the procedural restraints actually keep them in check? And do our laws just exist on paper? That's the first. Secondly, even on paper, the formal system of regulation needs a relook. And third, uh, we just can't look at internet as a new kid on the block. Of course, there's a lot of people who believe in internet exceptionalism. uh, But a lot of policy theorists now think that with everything merging, We can't escape the reality of having to relook our laws and our systems. With that, I now go to uh, Subhi Chaturvedi. Uh, Subhi, uh, I'm much more particularly interested in knowing the frameworks around policy building. How does multi-stakeholderism work, given your large experience? And also, what role can the private sector play here in supporting these kind of dialogues, which lead to a high degree of expertise in the formation of laws when we start looking and we start forming policy processes. So with that, Subhi.
2: Thank you so much, Appal. Um, You know, when you follow up, a speaker of great depth and width such as Mr. Tiwari who's not just been on the other side of the table and made laws there's very little that you can add to the discussion so I'm not going to wear my private sector hat today I will speak as a scholar of media as a student of media and a former professor of Delhi University where I taught for about five and a half years law, media and society at the Lady Sriram College of Journalism so what I would like to reiterate is it was It wasn't law or media or society, it was law, media and society. Um, When we look at the entire ecosystem of media, we have to test And especially when we put the lens of examination and regulation, what we do need to examine and very thoroughly investigate is what is it that the regulation is supposed to regulate and to what end and what purpose. For us, it's a very simple touchstone. Uh, Is it helping the media ecosystem proliferate? Do we have more media than where we started from? What is the nature and quality of that discourse? And what is the purpose that it is serving? For us as students and scholars of media, it was very, very important. And let's go back to the fundamentals. What is the role of media and internet in that perspective is also another media. So I disagree when people frame this as something unique and different. I think we're at a stage of maturity in the country where we've crossed that pillar. Though it's only been about 30 years in the offing, but the engagement and the process and the learning curve, we have way past that. So for us, it's very, very simple. We use the three uh, touchstone tenet. Uh, Is it objective? Is it fair? Is it speaking truth to power? And is it helping multiplicity and plurality of voices? Now, whether it's uh, the government, whether it is any other stakeholder group, um, whether it is media, whether it is civil society, or whether it's the private sector, dissent of any kind uh, leads to a natural instinct to control. Uh, You will find very few altruistic public um, Uh, trusts who will actually encourage plurality of voices and that is one space where we truly need to work towards the independence of the independent media that is when we start asking for free and fair regulations now let us look at the proliferation of media so we've got only 400 plus daily news channels we've got several radio stations and we've got innumerable websites which are Talking about news or which are talking about current affairs per se. So they're acting like the eyes and ears of the reader. Now, um, Mr. Tiwari spoke about the Cinematograph Act, 1952. So the genesis of that act was an instinct to control, not an instinct to encourage. It was It came from the legacy of the fact that this came during the time of the freedom movement, where they did not want powerful voices of dissent to articulate disagreement with the state. Now, when we take that forward, a natural instinct would be to control. Uh, In the internet domain, there are two or three landmarks, which we must remember. One of them was the Northeast Exodus that happened in Bangalore. The other one was the Muzaffarnagar riots, where people attributed various reasons for the riots to take place, including dismal speeds and an old video, which was about two years old, and not even from the state. What is equally important is the responses to these events. And then there was the Pink Chaddi campaign and the Nirbhaya protests that took place. So that's when governments started discovering that the internet is not just a tool for communication, it is also a tool for public protest. It is also a tool for mobilizing voices which can come together and that can take stance and that can also threaten the status quo. So, which is when the response was the committee of secretaries and the um, committee of chief ministers met and they wanted to look at how is it that we control social media. So, that is a natural instinct. What is it? And Apar asked a very important question What is it that we can do as a multi-stakeholder body society so what do we have we've got the editors broadcasters association we've got the national broadcasters association the editors guild we've got the press council which has representation we've got uh, former judges who understand the legal process and then we've got the private sector where there is industry where uh, the boardroom and the newsroom the lines have blurred We have to put the facts on the table. And of course, there's profitability at the end of things. So the questions that we must start asking, and that is what The Guardian and The Daily Mail tried putting together, they started looking at, crossword and forward linkages. They started looking at ownership patterns. And ownership does control the kind of discourse that you will see. So when we start talking about regulatory framework, it is equally important to turn the lens inwards. And when we start looking at ownership patterns, so there was a meeting that was held with the Securities and Exchange Board where a lot of people turned up in that meeting. It included owners, it included editors, and there was a conversation on limiting ownership and control. So if I want to give you an example, if there was a hypothetical film school that also had movie production capabilities that also owned a radio channel that also owned a film production company that also owned news channels and that also owned print magazines no matter how bad the production quality would be of that particular episode it would get fantastic reviews because you would have created the perfect eco chamber on twitter you will also see i'll just yield in just another 30 seconds you will also see a spiral Uh, of silence and you will also see an echo chamber so when we start saying that do Twitter trends and do hashtags really make a difference you also need to look at a um, very strong editorial content where when we are talking about making user choices you know just as extra legal persecution which Manish alluded to acts in multiple ways the choices that we're making as consumers also acts in miraculous ways. When you start deciding what is the content that I will start consuming, and when you start asking the difficult questions, when you start engaging with the government, so my suggestion, and this would be my initial concluding remarks, is to inform governments, is to constantly engage governments, is to submit to governments, and uh, make sure that you follow through with your recommendations and is to use every single multi-stakeholder platform because there is a lone bureaucrat who's making these decisions so instead of only criticizing it is equally important that we start tabling best practices if not best practices, good practices. That because this is evolving and your natural instinct would be to control, especially we're having this discussion in the context of the election year. So let us understand that many of it, these technological platforms are new, but we know how the channel works, we know how content travels, and therefore it is equally important as civil society to start informing this discourse by submitting to them that this is how the rest of the world is dealing with these technologies. And that includes responsibility by judiciary, that includes upskilling bureaucracy, and that includes continuous engagement in knocking on their doors. Thank you. Uh,
1: Thank you, Subhi. I think um, a lot of important um, themes were touched upon by Subhi right now. Uh, Starting out with firstly viewing this entire conversation as one being of law, media, and society not taking them as independent concepts or uh, combining them independently. Uh, again, I, it seems to be the internet is gaining center stage in this conversation and we are moving further ahead. I'm also interested in looking further back because it's our past, our history which informs our methods of regulation, especially when acts from 1952 but even stretching further beyond from the vernacular Press Act, which uh, which in fact applies to all systems of media, shows a system of control. Is there a danger it will also visit itself to the internet? Will it also endanger our uh, methods of network protest, which have become such so predominant these days? And what role will this word fake news play in this entire debate as we step towards the election year? And there's nobody better than to answer this than Mr. Khan. He's been a press officer inside the government. He's given statements to the uh, press and managed press relations from inside, looking at the press from outside. But much more broadly, he has looked at this entire landscape over a larger period of time, more than me. And I think so. So we and Nikhil, at least, I won't venture as to guessing ages of Mr. Thibaw. So, uh, Mr. Khan, I would like. Uh, perspective of how government views the media. And I think it does not get a sympathetic ear quite sometimes. So we are all
3: listening. Uh, Morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and my fellow panelists. Thank you very much for inviting me to this platform of Media Rumbles and to have an interaction with the delegates. Actually, the role of media, as everybody uh, knows, is to inform, educate, and entertain. Now, we have to see and assess that uh, whether media is actually performing its role to inform, educate, and entertain. As uh, Mr. Tiwadi said, that uh, Article 19 a and then comes the question of freedom of media. Everybody talks about that whether in media in India is free or not, whether there is government interference uh, in the media functioning, it may be informal formal it may be through various uh, laws through various kind of uh, directions and circulars which government issue from time to time and sometimes they are issued and later on withdrawn also so uh, article 19 a uh, gives freedom of speech and expression to every citizen of india so constitution does not give any separate or distinct freedom of his speech and expression to media. Media is also a citizen of India. So they enjoy the same freedom. Sometimes media says that we have a much more freedom than an ordinary citizen. That is not the case. And again, reasonable restrictions can be imposed. And there is a long list of restriction that is in the interest of sovereignty and integrity of India, public order, decency, morality, incitement to an offense friendly relations with foreign states. So it is such a vast scope of putting restriction on the freedom of speech and expression that if government really wants to impose a restriction on the functioning of media or on the freedom of speech and expression, government can certainly do it, though definitely that will be subject to judicial scrutiny. Uh, so, But what is the real intention of government? That is the most important whether the government has the will, political will, to do that. Always there has been questions uh, in the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting that whether some kind of restrictions, regulations can be there on the media. Actually, the much cause of concern is the broadcast media and the social media, because at least on print media, there is Press Council of India. Though again, it is a debatable point that how much powers Press Council of India has got but at least there is a body which uh, sees the content uh, uh, of the print media. But there is no such other body in the government which controls, uh, which uh, not I will not use the word control, but which is concerning the broadcast media or social media. I was Registrar General of Newspapers for India for three years, and we have got one lakh registered newspapers in the country, and we used to get at least 100 complaints every day about the content. But Press and Registration of Books Act 1865, you can see 1865, that is the act which governs newspapers in India, which was uh, passed in 1865. So that act, though attempts have been made to amend that act number of times, at least for the last 20 years, attempts have been made to amend that act. But however, we could not succeed because there was one objection or the other and matter was referred to select committees and never came back. Then governments change and finally it could not be amended. So there the government does not have any power to have any action against newspaper based on the content of the news. No powers at all. It is only about procedures, registrations. And if they really violate something very serious uh, things and laws or the owner or publisher goes abroad, something like that. But nothing to do with content. So government does not have that kind of power as far as these legislations are concerned to regulate the content of any news report. Then uh, social media, there was Section 66A in the IT Act, which was also declared ultra-virus by the Supreme Court of India. But there are other sections in the IPC where if really government wants, and other laws, as uh, Mr. Tiwadi also said, there are 29 media laws where certain action can be taken. But generally, government also wants to avoid to enter into any kind of confrontation uh uh, with the media by and large and uh, the policy of the government successive government is that media should regulate itself and should develop kind of a code of conduct now the most important sensitive issue is social media because uh, there everybody is a journalist and can write anything so there again it is a big debatable point whether there should be some mechanism to regulate the functioning of social media. So I think the five minutes are over, so we'll be uh, discussing this point later. Again. I
1: don't think so. I'm broaching any popularity right now, but uh, we'll continue on. It's all for your benefit. We'll have more time for audience uh, interaction. So uh, I think uh, social media has come center stage now. Mr. Khan also recounted the differences between newspaper regulation, where there are no inherent con- uh, content controls within the licensing system, and contrasted that, let's say, with TV broadcast where there are licensing bundled with content restrictions, and on top of that, there's also the IPC. What happens with the internet, and who better to tell us than Nikhil Ba? So, Nikhil, please.
4: So, I think, uh, Apal, first I'd like to go into the business stresses which uh, media businesses are facing right now uh, because that informs a lot of the activity that's going on uh, on the internet. Um, at this point in time, there is a dramatic shift that's taking place in advertising revenue uh, from print uh, and TV to the web. Uh, print and TV are both growing, but the growth is declining in terms of uh, percentage terms, and uh, the digital is is uh, moving up rapidly. It's almost increasing 20 to 30 percent every year, while print and TV are increasing at about two, three percent to five, five, ten percent, um, and that shift that's taking place is because of the nature of advertising on the internet which is essentially performance driven. Now, what we've seen on the internet is a massive fragmentation that has been that has taken place which is that everyone like me can start a site and uh, build a business around it. But it also means that every user is effectively a content creator. Uh, advertising does not discriminate between whether it's a journalist that's, that's putting out news or it's an individual who's Who's, who's going to put out news? That massive fragmentation means that someone has to bring it together to make us to make all of this content relevant to each and every one of us individually. So that's where the platforms have come in. They're doing the aggregation of this fragmentation. So most of our discovery is taking place through platforms like Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google News, and they are then monetizing that aggregation. So they're controlling the advertising ecosystem. So for most publishers now, uh, a majority of their revenues come through these platforms, uh, especially Google. Even though online advertising is increasing, um, 85% is going to the combination of Google and Facebook, maybe more. And so what's remaining for for non-platform media businesses uh, let's say like the Times of India or newspaper that, uh, is that they leave the left with about 10 to 15% of the overall digital advertising revenue all the growth that's coming in is coming in for the large platforms and therefore, in order to get as many views as possible because everyone's now content creator they have to do things which are sensational occasionally um, you see even with let's say the Indian Express you see the web team is doing very different kind of headlines as compared to what you see in a newspaper and all of this is in order to get as many eyeballs as possible because to make the same amount of money that you used to you have to um, you have to operate at that larger scale that leads to new challenges uh, for governance for governments because uh, or and even for people who get affected by this because a headline could be wrong someone could get uh, uh, there could be definitely could be hurt for someone because someone's tried to make an he- a headline more sensationalist and to monitor this at internet scale is impossible so what's effectively happening is that uh, these business stresses are lowering controls over quality, um, there are users that are also on the platform directly publishing information without uh, verifying it and cross-checking it and um, Governments can be impacted by this, businesses can be impacted by this, people can be impacted by this. So governments have the challenge of fi- finding out a balance regarding how do you ensure that such kind of activity doesn't happen, while at the same time protecting the right to free speech. Um, and this is, for me, this is all of this is being driven by the business dynamics of the internet. Um, which is why what you're seeing is that the conversation which used to happen earlier around controls of media, which was around, uh, let's say, uh, it started with with for me. Uh, it started with the conversation. <laughs> Hello, um, for me, it started with the conversations around fake news. Uh, sorry, uh, around paid news around 2011. Um, but now it's largely becoming around um, hate speech online and fake news. What this tells you is that the focus is mm-hmm. shifting away from online media to the platforms that control this media. Uh, and platforms that control the content. and so you're to, you're seeing an increased conversation around bringing back sections like uh, the rules or, or bringing or in, uh, changing the rules to section seventy nine of the act, which effectively protects the intermediaries, the platforms from the content that users put in. And um, I think the government's realizing that licensing is no longer a control mechanism. For newspapers for magazines, licensing was a critical control mechanism because that threat was always on their head that a license could be cancelled uh, or even even uh, even ad spends from government for a control mechanism because you could stop ad um, advertising money to a newspaper and about forty percent of their revenues might have gotten impacted. None of this works on the internet so there that's where you ha- you're, you're faced with a regime um, that's that's looking at controlling. Social media through through these plat and and media through the platforms themselves. Now, let's not forget that we have the internet that we have today as a function of the protection that these platforms get. Because WhatsApp is not liable for the messages that you send, because Facebook is not liable for the update that you make, because Twitter is not liable for the for what you tweet. um, Your speech is protected because of it. The moment you start holding them liable for the content, these platforms will destruct. They will not be able to take on the liability of all these users putting all of these updates because it's humanly and algorithmically impossible to police it. So we have what we're faced with is kind of like an unsolvable problem right now. Uh, I'm not sure what what these platforms can do to fix it, but some of it in my opinion boils down to ident- bring in accountability for the user. Uh, for the content that they're putting in. Um, I'm just finishing up. So, therefore, what we need is to discuss and debate protection for these platforms, protection for speech online, while at the same time bringing in some kind of accountability for that content.
1: Okay, so uh, I've been handed a note. It says, I'm going to quote from it Please interrupt long speeches. So, I'm throwing it up to questions actually, and questions means questions, it doesn't mean comment. Okay, it doesn't mean views because we have four people to give that. And I'll start with Abhinand. And we'll find certain uh, questions. We'll throw it to the panelists. Subhi, I will make time. Sure. Okay.
0: Uh, I. This question is aimed at Mr. Khan and Mr. Tiwari. Uh, you've been a former INB minister and you've been uh, chairman of registrar of uh, newspapers and periodicals. Um, can you categorically tell us, is digital media uh, uh, come under policy for the broadcast norms or print norms or neither. Because right now, in the ministry, it's all over the place. Everyone can do anything and depending on how the bureaucrat reacts, you are treated either as broadcast or print. So can you tell us categorically where does this fall or does it fall in neither? Well, uh, you are lucky that you are falling in between the stools at, the, at this point in time. But uh, We're not. We've been categorized on broadcast. Well, in the sense that uh, Speaking uh, strictly from a legal point of view, the Information Technology Act does not fault the remit of the Ministry of Information Broadcasting. The Information Technology Act is administered by the Ministry of Communications. So therefore, insofar as the online space is concerned, the online space strictly does not fault Within the purview of the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting, and I think uh, there's been no amendment uh, to the uh, to the transaction of business rules or uh, the other rules, whereby yeah, there's, there's been no amendment. So therefore, I think it's it's a it's a grey area where you kind of fall between the stools. But having said that, you know, I just want to go back to something which Varun was saying. You see, the internet was perhaps the most audacious experiment in anarchy. And it has succeeded. It represents the largest ungoverned space on planet Earth. Never before in the history of humankind has so much power concurrently resided on so many fingertips. When more data is churned out every day than possibly from the dawn of civilization till the turn of the 20th millennium. So what you're seeing is a tale of two civilizations, a brick-and-mortar civilization which evolved over the millennia and a virtual civilization which is still evolving. And the future of humankind really rests at the intersection of these two civilizations. My fear is that, like we saw the rise of the internet during our lifetimes, we might see the demise of the internet during our lifetime. And the reason for that is that if the multi-stakeholder process does not really fructify, and you do not come up with some agreed rules of engagement in the virtual civilization, you are leaving the field open for states to step in. And uh, let's not forget, uh, for all the freedom on the net that we talk about, the, that you're talking about the flora and the fauna of the net, the hardware, is still controlled by governments, the gateways, the routers, the physical infrastructure. It really lies within the domain of uh, government regulation in many ways. So I think it is very important for those who advocate free speech and those who believe that the net as it uh, stands constructed should be protected, they have the biggest stake in ensuring that this multi-stakeholder process which has been trying to arrive at certain rules of engagement, it actually succeeds and fructifies quickly. Otherwise, you will see the balkanization of the net. China is a classical example, where they firewall the int- uh, internet. They've made it into a huge intranet. And the day is not very far when other people will start emulating that example.
1: Uh, the gentleman is... Yes,
3: yes, I'm so sorry. It does not fall into any category. In fact, and there are no regulations, no restrictions, no registration is required. Actually, uh, people make these queries day in and day out, that whether it requires any registration and all that. So there is no nothing so far. Though the former minister of INB, uh, she made some statement, but later on it was not taken up uh, that there should be some kind of process by which the social media and network sites and digital media should should we should start some process and at least a debate on this but really it has not taken off as yet. So right now the position is that it does not fall into ambit of neither print nor uh, broadcast media.
4: Just to add to that about the process that the INB ministry started, let's not forget that the Minister of State in Parliament had also repeatedly said that uh, the remit of regulating content on the internet lies with METI and not with the Ministry of Information Broadcasting. So why MIB started the process itself is beyond me because they themselves have gone out and said they don't have the uh, they don't ha- they don't have the jurisdiction over online content. I would like Subhi to also comment.
2: Thank you, Apar. Um I think when it comes to Metis, the only tool that they have is the is the Information and Technology Act where it had certain specific sections and the ones that affected us were around intermediary liabilities. So my counter question to you would be, did you contest the categorization? Because legally they're not supposed to do that. Second, before you respond, I Navinandan, mean, there was a point that I did want to add. Um, your narrative, when you're... Co- Across different channels, one of the biggest things that we didn't much care about, and therefore my disagreement on categorization that everybody is a publisher and everybody is creating content. There are certain editorial processes which are applied for it to be distinguished as a journalistic piece. Of content or writing versus somebody who's writing as a citizen so you're not protected um, and your speech is not protected because you're writing on a certain platform there are adequate laws that exist where you will be prosecuted if you're in violation of all the restrictions which are applied on article 19 and therefore we do not need more laws what you do need is a rigorous process of engagement where you submit into the process and fake news cannot be used as a handle to Control and start controlling, which is the natural instinct of the government. So, yeah, I, so,
1: so, so, let's take this outside because I want to throw it up to others. By the way, my tea was earlier called Diety, Okay? And it still is. And uh, with that, we come to this the settlement in front. Yeah.
5: I'll just give my uh, brief introduction because yes. uh, that may come in handy. Uh, I'm a serving colonel in the Indian Army. And, uh, but I'm on a sabbatical and I'm pursuing journalism from MIT University right now. And my, I have two questions that are pointed questions. And the first question is that it is no secret that uh, the social media is manipulated. There are syndicates operating. They are operating from single rooms, and they have please, multiple please handles. Please stream a question, OK, sir. yes. Yeah, yes. stream Yes, yes, yes. yes. So the governments are also involved in it, and we see that, and Mr. Tiwari uh, may agree with me, and then there is a conflict of interest if they are only framing the rules and restricting the uh, social media. Mm -hmm. So how do we go about that Uh, if the governments themselves are involved in manipulating the social media? And the second question is uh, open to the entire house is, it is no secret as well that hybrid war is a reality hybrid war meaning that the battle of perception by our enemy the battle of moral high ground battle of projecting atrocities which don't exist battle of human rights violation which we may not have committed what's the question here i'm coming to that no no then we won't get time for this i'm sorry sir all right yeah. all right so if that be the case then some restrictions reasonable restrictions are required So, how do we go about that?
4: Okay.
1: So, uh, from what I understand, the first question was uh, the government is invested in manipulation of social media, but it also frames laws. So, how do we? manage that and the second is that there is a hybrid war of perception being fought in which human rights abuses are being exaggerated online and what are the new legal restrictions we can think about or technical restrictions about that. Any other questions right now? Uh, These are fairly provocative by themselves but yes.
2: I have uh, two quick questions. One is that Mr. Tiwari mentioned uh, uh, the Cinematograph Act, Act, and there's a lot of control even over fiction. I mean, we're talking about news here, but we use the same kind of uh, barometers and controls over fiction. And we're seeing that with movies all the time. Some community or the other is always being hurt. Some citizen is always being hurt. And then that is used to control media, um, even in a fictional framework. The second is with regard to the Editors Guild. The Editors Guild was mentioned, but it's a completely toothless body and and we seem not to be able to govern ourselves. So is there any move afoot or should there be any move afoot to help us do this?
1: Okay, so we have four questions. I'll put the social media one first to Nikhil. And Nikhil, uh, if governments themselves want to control social media, and they frame the laws which go about it, how do we ensure they are not doing something to control social media rather than just to cater to public interest?
4: So look, uh, my sense is that social media will not be controlled unless the internet is completely balkanized and it's shut off from the rest of the world. Jurisdiction will not extend to the entire world as long as there's access to information. Governments will, it's a losing battle that they're fighting. So the only thing that they can do, and they are doing as well, is to fight perception with perception. Uh, I don't think there's any other way out of this. Uh,
1: okay, uh, coming to the hybrid war and battle of perception, Subhi, do you think there are more restrictions which are necessary technically? And, uh, yeah, there is misinformation. How do we go about it?
2: So, uh, like I said before, and I'll respond to Two quick questions, very, very briefly. I think uh, the only way to counter this is, information with more information and as we mentioned the Muzaffar Nagar riots it was equally accessible to the government who had all the media and all the state power behind them to put out the facts very quickly and make sure that they amplified the facts we also need to make the quick distinction between the government and the party and therefore when we are looking at elections there are adequate laws that exist what we need to ensure as civil society is we are making sure and we are bearing upon the state that they are being exercised and they're being implemented so where it is it can't be a tool of convenience that i will have somebody uh, who's a lower level police officer act out of turn and therefore make the excuse that he acted much beyond his jurisdiction or much beyond his capacity and put a young boy into jail because he was being critical of a politician so when it comes to perception again uh, these are tools that exist online and they're accessible to everybody when you see The only way of doing this is through community engagement. If you allow the government to legislate on the internet, and I agree that the internet cannot be regulated, it needs to remain free, open, interoperable. So each time there's an attempt to take this to a high-level UN body or take this to a government-to-government body, that's when civil society comes in and we have to be vociferous in our engagement.
1: Uh, Mr. Khan, uh, the Editor's Guild is called a toothless body but yet it seems to just chew on over time. It, 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 it's a creature which continues to live. How do you make it better? And what is the role of the press council, given that it doesn't even have jurisdiction over the internet?
3: Uh, no, actually, Editors Guild of India is a body of editors. Uh, it is not a uh, body which has something to do with the government. The government gives a lot of respect to the views uh, of Editors Guild of India. But as such, uh, government does not, uh, there is no mechanism in the government to recognize uh, uh, the body as as, uh, something legal or uh, something to do within the framework of, but certainly… It's a representative body, and uh, it comprises of senior editors of all, almost all the newspapers and publications. Some way can be found out so that more uh, respect is given to the views of Editors Guild of India. As far as Press Council of India is concerned, that is governed by an act, Press Council of India Act. And it also has got uh, limited powers. The maximum thing which Press Council of India can do is to issue a censure, and ask the newspaper to publish apology. And the maximum thing which he can do, the Press Council is to suspend, uh, to ask the government, Ministry of Information and Broadcasting, to suspend the advertisements for some time. That is the most uh, stringent action which Press Council of India take. But as far as the editors Guild of India is concerned, that is not governed by any such regulations, and they can they are free to operate in their own way. And can definitely guide the government in matters relating to media, and I think the government of the day should give more and more uh, respect to the views of Editors Guild of India and should have a regular interaction with these bodies. There are bodies in broadcast sector also, and there are number of bodies in, in fact, in broadcast sector. In print media, uh, there are very limited. There are another bodies which cater to small and medium newspapers. All India is Small and Medium Newspapers Association, Medium and Small Newspapers Editors Association. This is besides Editors Guild of India. So all these bodies are there and ministry uh, call them for various meetings whenever there are such issues to be discussed with the stakeholders.
1: And uh, Mr. Tiwari, with the Cinematograph Act, what do we do? How do we go ahead? Uh, people say that the system of... Uh, Of licensing under it should be changed to a system of rating or and these are these are very well-known talking points but what's the way ahead given that there's so many reports I'm uh, sure uh, sir uh, that even the current government has enough reports to uh, change it there was one committee by mr. Sham Benegal but it means to be uh, uh, addressed completely through a process of lawmaking so uh, it Are there strategies to adopt? Are there people who need to speak up? Or this is the new normal
0: because it's always been there. Well, the Cinematographic Act needs to be junk, lock, stock and barrel. And it would have gone if I would have had some more time. The fact is that uh, the trigger for uh, reviewing the Cinematographic Act was the ban which the late Chief Minister of Tamil Nadu I mean, the chief minister of Tamil Nadu, the late Jalalitha, actually imposed on uh, Vishwarupa. Now, there was a conflict because uh, the movie had been certified and the state government invoked its law and order remit to impose section 144 uh, around cinema halls, which uh, actually stopped it uh, uh, from being screened. Now, the question for me was that uh, if uh, every film producer has to go hat in hand from state capital to state capital, you know, begging that his movie be allowed to screen, then what's the sacrosanct of the entire certification process? And uh, uh, in terms of India's constitutional scheme, certification of movies is actually a union remit. So, therefore, I constituted a committee under Justice Mudgal, which uh, looked at the entire framework. They came out with certain recommendations. And uh, eventually, we were not able to fructify it into law. Uh, The subsequent government appointed a committee under Shyam Benegal and the Benegal committee also I think came up with a similar set of recommendations. You see, in my uh, opinion, I do not agree with this uh, paradigm that you need to replace certification by ratings. If television which is beamed 24 into 7 into people's homes can live by a program and advertising code, You know, movies for which you actually make a conscious choice rather than inadvertently flipping a button. That is, you plan, you go and buy a ticket and watch a movie, can actually live by the same code. So the time has come for the Cinematographic Act to go. And uh, I think possibly uh, this government has a different uh, approach towards regulation, both formal and informal. The informal aspect, which I mentioned earlier, which has led to bloodletting in newsrooms recently, but uh, if there is, will be a more liberal government in the future, which I think uh, would be the case, uh, the cinematographic Act, I think, would be the first thing to go. It just needs to be jumped.
1: So, um, Nikhil and then Subhi, uh, 30 seconds each, because one last round of questions or one or two questions, if possible. Right.
4: So, look, at this point in time, the business situation is that uh, content is far freer on the internet. People have more artistic license. Uh, and freedoms to do, to create content on the internet, you have a situation where even on the internet, the uh, the platforms like Amazon and Netflix are censoring some of the content uh, in order to comply with non existent guidelines that exist for the internet because they don't exist. So uh, there is self-censorship which is happening because of the fear of regulation of the internet and uh, I agree with Manish that Cinematocraft Act needs to go, this kind of censorship that's happening um, to films is just, Ridiculous. I mean, it's just getting worse year on year, and we need to uh, we need to give artists and creators the freedom to create the content that they want, and there's an audience that wants it, which is why these platforms are succeeding, and and television and films are at a comparative disadvantage because of it.
2: Uh-huh two quick points you raised a really important question on artistic freedom and both fiction and non-fiction and therefore the distinction between media sorry we didn't address that before uh, we need to make this distinction very clear between content and law and order and because it's one against the other which is usually posited for censorship the fact that it may be uncomfortable for your vote bank will not become your touchstone for regulating a certain kind of content because society and special. A democratic one is known for the freedom that you give to your artists, to give to your creative people, to give to Authors and literatures. Now, uh, there are two uh, stakeholder groups, women and children, who are often used as tools for uh, extra legal censorship as well as uh, regulated legislative censorship. Uh, One of the most important things is to make sure that we bring out the distinction between a particular section, between the law which is being applied, and therefore, section 66A was struck down because it was arbitrary, because it was ultra virus of speech, and because it did not have clear distinctions and definitions and it was a copy of an old British act where you were trying to punish people for irritating and for anonymity. So, um, therefore it is critical that we start engaging with the legal system. We start engaging and critically examining and inputting into the existing laws. And the last thing that I wanted to leave you with was the idea of digital trust. So there's the business of business which will always exist in media. There will be content aggregators. But please make sure that you remember the distinction between a credible media house versus a content provider. A content provider will speak to the last function that Khasab talked about which is entertainment but the but the journalistic principles of making sure you put out content with rigor which is not just infotainment or entertainment. That is the distinction where uh, we have to trust the decision making abilities and we don't often speak to the lowest common denominator. So the users know the content that they're watching and so does the government. Uh, So one of the things that really pains me is when media would not stand up for media. So when you have stories which are put out, it is equally our responsibility. And therefore it was commendable when the editor's guild took a stand and put out the statement that they did. So we need to constantly engage and a lot of owners will rest with us. Thank you.
4: So uh,
1: one last question and who gets to hold the mic now?
2: I was in Cherrapunji, I was travelling there and an incident happened of political unrest and the government blocked all uh, of my messages that were being sent back to Delhi and my social media was um, internet quality was super bad and my um, whatever Vodafone Airtel messages didn't come back so me as a citizen what can I do on the people of Meghalaya themselves who were blocked what can they do to sort of deal with this entire block which lasted for about a week.
1: Yeah, so I'll just talk about that. Uh, interestingly, there's a statutory motion being introduced by MP uh, recently, Mr. Hussein Dalwai. That's one of the motions where you can challenge delegated legislation in parliament itself. These rules which were made were made last August, published without any press advertisement, quietly notified in the official gazette at variance with PIB practices. And the rules by themselves are modeled after certain interception guidelines given by the Supreme Court after. Uh, so it's just not designed for this kind of stuff and doesn't have adequate safeguards, has no transparency. And India has the highest number of shutdowns. Guess who do we tie with? Libya and Iraq, and Iraq includes the areas which are ISIS-occupied. So um, this was at least till last year, 2017. Nikhil's raising his eyebrow. So I'll give him the last word here. Let me just
0: uh, come in on that. Yeah. You know, there is you there is a you raise the way, uh, valid point. See, the difficulty is that uh, for whatever else you may say, the government actually has a very light footprint in the ground in terms of its administrative ability uh, juxtaposed with the number of people that you are supposed to provide law and order and security to. So it becomes a very difficult balancing act when you are confronted with a uh, live law and order situation and the possibility of that proliferating or spinning out of control. Uh, and, And thus, uh, the the choice that you have to make at that point in time if you're the Deputy Commissioner or you uh, are the SP of that particular district is that are you going to take the risk uh, of possibly having casualties on your hands if you allow the unhindered access of freedom of speech and expression to continue uh, which may possibly uh was being misused at that particular time so it's it's a it's a it's a very difficult balancing act and that's why i keep repeating mm-hmm. that if you really want a free internet if you really want an internet as it stands constituted today it is the responsibility of all the stakeholders to come up with rules of engagement if you do not come up with rules of engagement you know government or governments around the world uh, definitely, at some point in time, will step in, and when governments step in, the regulation is always much heavier.
4: Yeah, so, uh, I had one last point to make in response to something that be said a couple of times. Uh, I don't believe that journalism is the exclusive prerogative of journalists, just as just as content creation isn't the exclusive prerogative of media houses. We need to recognize the fact that we are in an internet age. Everyone can be a journalist. Everyone can be a content creator. It's about the processes they follow and the laws that they follow, not about who's making these things. So, uh, with those comments, I yeah. end this panel. Uh,
1: please take it.
2: It's just two seconds. So, um, I I think I owe to myself as someone who only engages with journalism and teaches the subject. Let me not be paraph or misquoted, it is very very critical that we make the distinction I think journalism is for everyone and I agree Nikhil and I are saying the same thing that editorial processes the fact that you will be checking your facts the fact that there will be an umbrella and a lens that will be applied before content is published that makes it a piece of journalism versus fiction or entertainment or content and that is one distinction that we must apply to ourselves versus a news channel versus an editorial house versus me airing opinion thank you
1: so uh, with that i would like to thank all panelists two things to take away one uh, towards the end we saw a youtube comment thread in real life okay and eventually people agreed they didn't wish debt to each other so it's possible online as well secondly marshall McCollum said the medium is the message so we need to look at how the internet works what are its mechanics and that's what we understood from today Ultimately, thank you to the audience because as we know on the internet today, it's all about your attention. You are the people who decide what happens and you, in fact, create the incentives for the creators. Thank you so much. I hope you have a productive day filled with with engaging, lively, intellectual conversations. Okay, thank you, everyone.
2: All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform.
0: Please subscribe to News Laundry.